They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So let's pray before we go any further. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for this day, this Pentecost Sunday. Thank you for the opportunity to celebrate the gift of your spirit. And Father, we ask that uh, you would be speaking to us now by your spirit, that those things that are from you, would they stay? Those that aren't, would they just not be heard? And would you be at the, the one that who is at work? In Jesus' name, amen. Um, when I uh, looked um, at this passage, I realized that I preached on this um, in, my, I think, my second send- Sunday here, which is almost a year ago. And, and so I was like, oh, no, I've now got to a point when I can't reuse sermons. Oh, dear. No, I haven't reused all of my sermons uh, yet. <laughs> um, but um, as I looked at it, I realized that I couldn't... Uh, when I looked at the passage, I came out in my mind with exactly the same thing that I, w- I said last year. And I thought, oh, does that mean I should say the same thing? And I thought, no, I'll leave that for a few years down the line. But what I did last time was I preached um, about what a spirit-filled church looks like that it's devoted to the word, it's devoted to worship, it's devoted to witness, and it's devoted to one another. That's what um, the the, the spirit-filled church looks like. And um, bear that in mind as we look further um, at this passage now. What we see here in this passage is, is really an outworking of how the Holy Spirit worked in the early church. It's a little bit like a visual aid of what a church could look like post-Pentecost. And of course, therefore, it's a model for us, isn't it? It's, it's, it's a model for us, although we are in a very different context today, with so many things drawing our attention away. I mean, how often do we find ourselves sort of being pulled to watch the television or um, sport or whatever it might be? Whereas what we see in this early church <coughs> is their focus really fully on God. But it's still a model, isn't it? It's still a model uh, for what a church could look like post-Pentecost for us. But this passage is also an antithesis of, of being able to do this Christian stuff on your own, because what you find is if you try, you can't. Recently, I had a conversation with someone um, who was trying to do that, who was trying to uh, be a Christian and not be involved in a church, not going to church at all. And, and of course, yes, you can believe, you can read the Bible, you can pray. But all this stuff in this passage isn't an optional extra. You know, it's, it's necessary to be able to keep going as a Christian to have fellowship with other believers. So what are some of those things that this passage talks about? Well, last time I had the letter W, this time I got the letter F. So what we find in this passage, first of all, is that they are filled with awe. In uh, the, one of the verses, if you can just put the verse up, Zach. 
says this, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. But what was the awe about? Well, we can see there about the the signs and the wonders, but I'm sure there's more to it than that as well. What about the fact that they must have been filled with awe about what Jesus had done for them? They were filled with awe at the grace of God, at the forgiveness that they had experienced. But of course, as it's clear in this passage, they were also filled with awe um, at the wonders and the signs that the apostles were doing, which of course in turn was a, a reminder that God was with them. Signs are just that, aren't they? They point us to something. And here they point to God. Now, I've learned in the last week that I I can believe in miracles. Uh, Because I saw a miracle, not a spiritual one, last week. Let me put a picture up, and it might help you understand. (laughs) Woohoo! My dad's here, uh, in case you're wondering. Um, And um, Sheffield Wednesday Football Club, which is our uh, family team. Well, it's been our family team since about 1980-something. And um, they were losing 4-0. Um, in the playoff semi-final to get from League One to the championship. And they lost 4-0 in the first match against Peterborough United. And then it came back to Hillsborough. And no one has ever overturned a 4-0 defeat, ever. Um, And somehow, um, in the 98th minute of proper time, Wednesday scored their fourth goal and won 4-0. So it went to extra time. Then it became 5-1 by the end of extra time, which meant it went to penalties. And Wednesday won, 5-3, get in. Which means that me and my dad are going to Wembley tomorrow, which I'm very excited about. But it's a miracle, honestly, it feels like a miracle. It's not a spiritual miracle, let me just make that very clear. Uh, But it's a miracle. And I was filled with awe, that's my link, do you like it, at what had happened. Basically, I needed to get Sheffield Wednesday into my sermon, but I was filled with awe at it. This passage says that everyone was filled with awe, not just some. No one was thinking it was a bit odd. No one was thinking it was a bit strange. They were all filled with awe. Because let's face it, God is amazing. He is awesome. How he acts is awesome. And I do sometimes wonder how much we've tamed God. Not that he can be tamed, but how much do we not allow him to do? Maybe because we're scared. Maybe because we're fearful that nothing will happen. Maybe we're worried about how others might react. Maybe, deep down, we're not sure whether God can do it. Maybe that's a challenge for us this evening, to be open to how God might work by his Spirit. And of course, if you're in awe of the acts you witness, what will you do? Well, like I've just told you about Sheffield Wednesday, you'll tell others. You'll go and tell others about the things that you have seen. And we see that um, throughout Acts. Of course, this was a learning church. We know that from the very first verse of this chapter. Verse 42 shows that they were devoted to the word of God. But this went hand in hand. It went hand in hand with the spirit being visibly at work. Word and spirit together. Uh, John Stott, I love what he says. He puts it like this. The spirit of God leads the people of God 
to the word of God. Isn't that good? The spirit of God leads the people of God to the word of God. We need both of those things. It's always important to remind ourselves of that. It's not that God was performing these amazing things through the apostles for the sake of it, although he could do that because he loves us. They were performing these signs and wonders to point to him, the word. But there's something else I want to bring out um, from this section about uh, these people being filled with awe. Because what we read here is that everyone was filled with awe at the wonders and signs performed by the apostles. That's plural. It wasn't um, they were filled with awe at the wonders and signs performed by one particular apostle. It was all the apostles, those sent by God. It wasn't just one. And I think we have to acknowledge, don't we, that sadly today's church has more than one story of a high-profile church leader falling from grace. Many of us will be aware of one investigation that's happening at the moment, and it's still ongoing, so I won't comment on it, but what I believe it and other cases clearly highlight is that we need to be very careful about putting one person on a pedestal. The only person who should be worshipped like that is Jesus. We have to be really careful of doing that because we are human, we are fallible, and we can make mistakes as we've seen. And of course, just to say, if what is going on in the sort of Christian, in the church world at the moment has affected you, um, or if it's brought anything up for you, please do talk to us, do talk to someone, because we can support you and we can help point you uh, to the right support and the right help. Because it's really clear here, no one name is highlighted. And surely the effect of that is that rather than one name, it's Jesus who is worshipped. These signs and these wonders were not for show, but they were to build faith. They were to point to Jesus. So there's the first uh, point. They were filled with awe. The next thing I want to bring out, um, and this is really the, the big point, I believe, of this passage, every time I read it, in fact, is that they had fellowship they were all together. Um, the 44th verse, the next verse in the passage says this. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Now, I'd just like to say at this point, Andy's not here, but I can do Greek as well. So, let me just show you a Greek word. This is my Greek word, koinonia. It's a great word. I love it. Um, in fact, the school I was chaplain of in my last post um, it was going to be one of our sort of three Christian values, koinonia, but they decided it was going to be too hard to spell, so they had fellowship instead. Um, but the Greek word koinonia literally means fellowship. The word koina um, means common. And so what that's about is that this is fellowship together and what they had, they had in common, things that they shared in. And of course, that's true for us as well, isn't it? That we are part of the body of Christ in fellowship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and one another. I love that. It's, it's not that we just want to be together in the BT advert way. You know, we want to be together. That really shows my age. But anyway, um, but because we hold everything in common, including um, what uh, we share in, who we share in, the body of Christ, and if we look in this passage, um, just a few verses have all of these words, everyone, together, all, every day, and some of those are not just once. And so what we see with that is that this isn't just a one-day-a-week meeting. This isn't um, like a club. 
This was being involved in all aspects of each other's lives with Jesus at the center. And the outworking of this in, verses, in the next couple of verses is this. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So what we read there is, firstly, they cared for all who were in need. It wasn't just the leaders who did that. It was all of them. They saw it as their, their joint responsibility, if you like. That wasn't just then. That's the case today as well. It's all of our responsibilities to be looking out for one another. And then we read that they had generosity. They gave to anyone in need. I do wonder whether that included those not within the, the, the community as well. Did they give out to further afield? Matthew Henry says it like this, their charity was as eminent as their piety. It's good, isn't it? Their charity was as eminent as their piety. In other words, how they helped each other was as clear as their faith and worship. Wouldn't it be good if that was the case? If we were visibly seen in that way. I've got a little bit more Greek, though, for you. Not just one word this evening. I've got two. Just two, don't worry. Um, I learned something else this week. Because koinonia is fellowship, what we share in. But what we see here also is fellowship in what we share out. And the Greek word for sharing, which isn't in this passage, but we can see it elsewhere in Scripture, is this, koinonikos. Now, that's a good word, isn't it? In 1 Timothy 6, verse 18, we read this. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. That's uh, that word, share, there, koinonikos. I love that, that the, the, the koinonia is about fellowship in what we, what we share in. Koinonikos is what we share out. Really helpful way of thinking of it. But of course, a reminder that this wasn't a compulsory thing. You know, it was something you chose to do. It wasn't forbidden to have property um, or anything like that. So don't think you've got to go out and sell your home now. Um, but it was something that people wanted to do. It was an outworking of Pentecost and of the fellowship that they had with one another. But look at 1 John verse three, uh, chapter 3, verse 17. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? That's actually a real challenge, isn't it, when we think about it? We see the love in this early Christian church, showing the love of God to one another. And I'd love to see us do that more and more. Although, I would like to just encourage you all that when I arrived here and I found out about the Hardship Fund, I was blown away that many people in this church who have more than they needed, gave to this church and are still giving to this church so that we can give to those who are in need. And that's exactly what we should be doing, isn't it? Those of us who have more than we need, giving to those who don't have what they need. So if you are in need, please don't feel embarrassed or ashamed or anything like that about asking for help. Because this is part of being in fellowship, koinonia, having everything in common, Sharing in, therefore, koinonikos, sharing out. 
having everything in common, therefore. It's about all aspects of life. And so we read also that they were together at all times. We read in this passage that they were together in the temple courts. They were together in their homes. So they worshipped formally, they worshipped informally. And you can see there a very early pattern of meeting together in a bigger group to worship and then in a home group. It's a really early blueprint for home groups, isn't it? And I just want to encourage you that small groups are a really good place to experience that fellowship. A fellowship that's hard to do when there's lots of people. A place where we can do life together. Not that we've always got it right in these small groups, um, but it is a good place that we can meet together and have this sort of fellowship. We read that each day they broke bread together, eating together, reminding themselves of what Jesus had done for them. That's something we can all do easily every day. Even if you live on your own, I need to challenge myself as well that when I have my meals, to just be thanking Jesus for them and to be acknowledging him. And what I wonder as I was thinking about this passage is, is I wonder whether we have so pushed the individual relationship with God, not that that's wrong, by the way, that's really important, have we pushed it so much that we've pushed aside the need to meet together? I have to admit, I've always really struggled with quiet days. <clears throat> Some of you don't need to know why, that's because I'm not quiet. And also, I live on my own, and I have a lot of time on my own. I don't need more time on my own. What I need is people to speak into my life, to encourage me, to build me up, to pray for me. I still need to have time on my own, of course. I still need to spend time on my own in prayer and all of those things. But I wonder whether we need to think about how we meet together more. It's really important that we do that. If we look earlier on in Acts, we see uh, Jesus' disciples meeting together to pray because they weren't sure what was going on. They realized they needed to be together. And later on in Hebrews 10, uh, chap uh, chapter 10, verse 25, we read these words, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. The other thing that we see in this passage is that another outworking of them being together is that they are filled with joy. They are glad and sincere in their hearts. It was a joyful church. And I think that's really important as well. And when I was on placement in a church, I'm not going to say where, um, I was chatting to the vicar who was there and he um, said to me, uh, one day he decided to play his guitar in the service. Um, and it was a, a church where they weren't used to that. And um, someone came up to him on the way out of the church and said, the church is no place for joy. <laughs> I find that really sad, I have to admit. Really sad that someone would, would say that. My response is, yes, it is. It's one of the fruit of the Spirit for a start. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Someone once came up to me um, when I was at music college and said, Eleanor, you're always so full of joy. And before I knew what I was saying, I just went, because I've got Jesus in my life, like that. <laughs> Embarrassing. But anyway, the church is a place for joy. It's one of the fruit of the Spirit. And it's wonderful to read that this early church was joyful. Okay, moving on. Uh, the next F is this. They've enjoyed favor with all the people. What does that mean? What does it mean they found favor? 
Well, it means that those who weren't Christians saw how these Christians acted. They saw how they were together, even though there were probably people who were against them. But they saw a unified, caring, loving group of people. Why wouldn't they find favor, actually, in that? And it got me thinking about um, some research I saw recently, research called Talking Jesus. So this is the, the logo for it. And in this recent research um, from Hope, they looked at this uh, research, they asked people a question, lots of questions, and they spoke to lots of people who weren't Christians. They asked them whether they knew a Christian, whether they didn't know a Christian, and all of that sort of thing. And one of the questions they asked was, what do they think of Christians? So for a moment, I just want to encourage you just to talk amongst yourselves, just for like 20 seconds. If you were asked that question and you weren't a Christian... How would you, what would you say? What would you say people would say Christians are like? Have a go. Chat amongst yourselves. <laughs> don't worry, you don't have to feedback. Okay, you don't need to talk for very long, but I'm not going to ask for feedback in that. I'm not going to ask you to, to shout out things, but I wonder what you thought. Uh, they did two uh, bits of questioning on this. One was, what did people think about individual Christians? And this was uh, from, I think, mostly people who knew a Christian. So this is the um, result. You can't see that very clearly, I know that. But the top ones in blue are the positives. The orange ones are negatives. I find that really helpful, really challenging, really encouraging that actually this is non-Christians who know a practicing Christian. They are really positive about Christians. But let's just have a look at how they think the church is. Let's go on to the next slide. Interesting, isn't it? That um, when they ask non-Christians who, who, um, dis- to describe the church, that is what comes out. And that's really interesting, isn't it? And it makes me think about how do we as a church help people to see what we are, people see us as individuals, if that makes sense. We need to be on our guard, don't we? You know, social media points to paints a very different picture of the world's view of Christians, much more like that. There's lots of anti-stuff on uh, social media. Why? Well, because we're arguing with each other. (laughs) Because we put people on pedestals and they fall. Because the world doesn't understand that we're fallible. And we haven't helped that necessarily either. So the best way people will get through to, to church and to know Jesus is through us as individuals. It's through us um, encouraging and building up and supporting one another. It's through us being more like an Acts 2 church. Where is our focus? What is it that takes our attention away from being a church like this? And that's up to all of us, isn't it? It's not up to a few people. It's about all of us thinking about that. And the outworking of that is my final point, and that is that it furthered the gospel. When you think of all this, it's not really a surprise, is it, that people were added to their number every day? 
But I do want to remind you that the passage says the Lord added to their number every day. It wasn't them. You know, for me, that's a great relief (laughs) that it's not about what I do. I'm not the one who has to save someone. That's Jesus's job. But my actions, my life, the way I interact with other Christians will be the way others see Jesus. And the Lord did this daily. You know, mission and evangelism isn't about, you know, one week a year. It's about everything we do. Not that we shouldn't do specific events, of course. But just think, in this next year, as we celebrate um, our 150th year as a church building being built, and then next year as we celebrate the first service 150 years ago, what if people were added to our number every day? Not for the sake of being bigger, but because Jesus is at work in us as we share together. What might it look like then? Remember, mission and evangelism are rooted in being with other Christians and in God doing the saving. What if in our 10-year vision of working with other churches so that everyone in our area has an opportunity to hear the good news and respond to the good news of Jesus in this next 10 years, what if that happened? Wouldn't that be good news? What if we heard stories from our mission partners around this world telling us that the fact that we've supported them financially, demonstrating that we love them, that we're part of this fellowship together, enables them (laughs) to reach many other people. Wouldn't that be wonderful? So finally, I have one further F, which is literally finally. You don't worry if you can't read that. Looking at the words and the phrases from our 24 hours of prayer last week, I saw in those words a real desire to be together, a desire to share, to love, to be united, whether that was through prophetic words or desire. And that is what's happening in the early church. All of those words are from last week, and all of them are about being together. And I find that really encouraging. So how might we do this as a diverse church? How might we do that with young families, with those who are single, with those who are older, those who find it difficult to get out, those whose lives are so busy, those who don't know what to do with their time? What might that look like for us? There is a desire. Let's ask God to help us by his spirit to become a post-Pentecost church like this church in early Acts. But finally, remember, we don't need to wait like those 120 who needed to wait for the Holy Spirit. Because he is here with us now. And that is good news. We're going to pray. Can I invite you to stand with me? I would ask the band to come back, but I won't quite yet. I wonder what God might have been uh, saying to you this evening or today um, about Pentecost, about the gift of his spirit. I wonder whether you come with a, a sense of being part of this fellowship or on the edge. I wonder whether there's a, a mission field that God is placing on your heart 
for you to uh, work in or to, to speak into or to support. Let's just be quiet for a moment and ask God by his spirit to, to uh, speak to us afresh. might be that you're here this evening and you're questioning whether God can do any of this. So Heavenly Father, I pray that you would come by your Spirit. Holy Spirit, would you pour out your presence with us this evening that we would know that you are here. Holy Spirit, would you equip us to be a church that is filled with awe at what you do, that is uh, full of fellowship with one another, one that finds favour, and one that ultimately furthers the good news of Jesus. And for those of us who may be uh, struggling this evening, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and minister to those who uh, need your fresh touch this evening. This morning as we were uh, praying, there was a, a picture of the fire on each of the people in the upper room. And it just rested on those people. And I pray that each one of us would know your presence resting on us not just in this space, but as we go from here as well, that we know, may know you resting on us and equipping us as we walk through those doors. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.